Dungeoneers! Welcome to Applied Dungeoneering, the D&D 5e actual play podcast that loves to sing and dance to the music. I'm Josh, the Dungeon Master, and I'm joined as always by my friends and co-hosts. We have Daniel here, busting moves like no one ever has. Oh yeah, no, I've been practicing this for weeks. Alright guys, check out this dance. Whoa. Dude. This is awesome uh, for an audio medium. He's just wailing his arms about. Oh, no. I, I forgot there's only... Oh, no. Guys, I, a huge oversight. I forgot I forgot it was a podcast. Uh, it's okay, Wow. Daniel. As long as you loved doing it, that's what matters, right? Well, Janelle's here, too, and she's pretty much a party girl at this point. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean this point? I've always been always been a party girl uh it's my life yeah i know you're always out partying i remember when we went out for your 21st birthday and you had like you like got so drunk you went on the dance floor and like danced everywhere and sung really loud because you're a loud person and you definitely like to get in front of people and dance yes. so those are my two favorite things actually it's being very loud and being in front of large groups of people Yes, that's all anybody needs to know about me. So congratulations, everyone. It's crazy. And you love every moment of it. Yep. Well, Nate's here too. And honestly, out of all of us, I think he's legitimately the best dancer I've ever seen. Look at him go. I know. It's not by choice, though. I just want to sit at the bar and enjoy my beer. But people keep up coming up to me and asking if I want to dance. And I'm too nice to say no. Oh, hey, Nate, I see you're uh, polishing off a drink there. Hey, hey, uh, you want to dance? Oh, Daniel, okay. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Real audience, I wish you guys could if see only. this. This is, this is a beautiful dance routine these guys are doing right here. It's something special. You've never seen anything this good. I'll just say they've never seen anything like it before. I'm not going to add any other adjectives to that, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah. That's right. And it should stay that way. Well, moving on from that, Joel's here, too. And he might not make much of a dancer, but, man, his singing voice is just like an angel's kiss. Well, thank you, Josh. Um Unfortunately, since I sang that Sarah McLaughlin song back in one of the previous intros, I'm not allowed to sing in the podcast anymore. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I understand. Um, Who's Sarah McLaughlin? <laughs> just ignore Nate. Uh, he's, he's trying to make things difficult for people. Uh, but I, I wish I could sing for everybody, but they'll just have to... Uh, imagine that I'm singing for them. Well, you know what, Joel? With your beautiful voice, your dulcet tones, I, I think most people can imagine what your singing voice sounds like. Did I use the right word? Is it dulcet or is it dulso? I have no idea. Whatever. Uh, it, he sings in Irish anyway, so. <laughs> Ch chicken dulso, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There are a lot of words that I've only read but have never heard spoken. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's why you shouldn't read, kids. No. 
<laughs> yep, that's the moral from this podcast. You learned it here. Don't read, just listen. <laughs> yep, that's you right. Get nothing from books. Watch TV. Oh my god. <sighs> <laughs> well, with that behind us, finally we have AJ, who honestly I think hoards all of the party talents of the group within himself. And he doesn't share them. Well, I, I just feel like if I did share them, then I wouldn't have any left for me. And and I just can't have that. Because if, if no one else really has the talents in the party, we're talking about the D&D party, right? No, I was talking party talents, as in like talents for, for a party. Oh, see, I read the party. Uh, I misread the situation. Yeah, apparently well, reading is not one of your talents. I, I, oh. I was following Joel's advice. I don't <laughs> <laughs> At least you guys can read. <laughs> I know, poor Nate. <laughs> Listen, I can only read binary. It's not my fault you guys have an inferior system. Yep, that's the inferior one. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> binary was created before English was. Mm. Yeah. Uh. So say if the UTF-8 code system. I, I don't know about that. Nate likes to make up things so that he feels good that he knows things, but that's okay. We can get deep. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa, Janelle. Well, I'm going to jump in before we get a little too hostile whoa. here. i got to protect little baby I Nate. I do not over-exaggerate. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you do not. Never. You not guys once. are underappreciating me. Yes. Look, yes that one didn't work, hey, right. that one didn't work very it. well. No, I'll count it. It was close enough. Well, anyway, just so I can move us along and kind of leave this hostility behind us, um, how's everyone doing this week? <clears throat> I'm exhausted. You're exhausted, AJ? Partying too exhausted. hard? Partying too hard. <laughs> yep, that's <laughs> what it is. Definitely partying too hard. Not school, not the endless classroom activities or the coding or the researching or redoing of coding. Definitely not any of that. No, I wouldn't expect that. No, no. Party. Yeah, some of us have easy things to do, like going to work. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, yeah. Poor AJ, man. He's got to sit around in his room all day and do work on his school stuff. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Joel? Huh? No, I was just trying to say? expressing my my sorrow for you. I, I feel like you're you're saying them in such a way that it insinuates not that though. No, I I am very sympathetic towards you, AJ. You should mm-hmm. know that. All right, what, is, what kind of work is it that I'm doing? You said schoolwork. Say say schoolwork. School yeah, I see. You're just you're emphasizing the same way. What do you mean? This? I don't understand. AJ, I have no idea what you're talking about. I you're think always you're being, against me. You're, I didn't ask AJ, you're just being paranoid. AJ, I'm your best friend. Okay. You're all against me. You only say that because you know it'll keep my guard down. Don't worry, everybody. AJ has a little bit of a victim complex, but... I am the victim! Yeah. Sounds like something someone with a victim complex would say. <laughs> no! No! Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God. Hey, right, Josh, how are thing. you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Do you know what I've been looking forward to all week? Buttering me, buttering me up and training me for adventure? 
I don't want to turn you ever. Never say that again. <laughs> yeah, Daniel, you're the one that does the churning. That's, that's right, but I wanted to say it differently this time. Well, you well, succeeded. Are you happy with your out- with the outcome? Yes. <laughs> All righty. Well, before we get started, I'll give us a quick recap of what happened last episode, and then we'll jump back into the action. So last episode, we joined the hunt for Gunner. Our escapee barely managed to avoid one of the strange scythe-wielding constructs that you would, that you had encountered in the forest before, and Vez actively helped a hunting party search for him. After they were able to locate him and see past his very, very clever and well-thought-out disguise and diversion, they rejoined Fio and Aegon, who were in the longhouse, awaiting the other party members, with a disguised Jasper watching over them in the guise of a guard. And as we ended, Glamir, the leader of this elven settlement, entered the room and reintroduced himself, for mainly for Gunner's benefit, and stated that he needed to talk to you about something. So we will jump back into the action here. So four of you are sitting at a table in this longhouse. It's Theo, Gunner, Vez, and Aegon. There's a fire lit in the fireplace, kind of shedding a reddish light across the walls. Uh, Aegon has repositioned himself so we can do some shadow puppets on the wall while he's bored. There's uh, some candles on the table illuminating the plates with the meager pieces of bread and water that have been laid out for you as a basic form of sustenance. There are six elven guards standing around the table, far enough away to give you some privacy, but close enough that they can get in should anything go wrong. Um, And they are not aware that one of their member is a disguised Jasper, who is uh, slowly scanning the room and probably plotting something. And at the end of the table, facing the rest of you, is Glamir, a very tall, powerful, muscular-looking elf. He has these tattoo designs drawn across his face, arms, and back, and he has four-pronged antlers that, like, reach above his head, almost like they're grasping at the sky, and he has jewelry hanging from them, marking him as a member of the elven nobility. And when he talks in the glint of the firelight, you can see that he has several grooves carved into his front teeth, giving him an almost more fearsome appearance. But as he's talking, he's quiet and reserved. He doesn't seem like uh, driven by passion. He just seems very pragmatic and controlled. So as you're sitting there, he looks out across all of you and he says, Now, as I said, you have all been accused of crimes against my people. The normal process would be to hold a trial, find you guilty, and have you pay the blood price for your transgression. In this case, you would do battle with whoever had a claim against you, and you would fight to the death. Now, I have no desire for you to kill more of my people, because I will not... I will, I will be honest. 
I do not think that anyone who comes forward with a clay will be able to kill any of you in single combat. I also don't want to take a different route and simply execute you. And he looks at Gunner, Aegon, and Theo, and he says, As far as my people know, everyone outside this room believes that you three are the only guilty ones. And he looks over at Vez, and he says, And although you share the guilt, you've hidden yourself from them. And your final companion has also probably hidden himself as well. <laughs> yeah, Jeff is just having a <laughs> laughing fit in the corner again. The other guard's like, dude, what's wrong? <laughs> that wasn't funny. No, this is my uh, laugh of rage. I want to get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and he says, so... That would mean three of your members would have to be executed. And I think that would be a waste. As I said before, I do not believe in destiny. I do not believe in any pre predisposition of fate. But something brought you here, and I would like to make good use of it. So in lieu of our traditional punishment, I would like to take you to meet the prophets so that Perhaps they may judge you. If they have use for you, then you will repay your debt in that way. And if they have no use for you, then we'll reconsider the other options. And he kind of looks at the four of you sitting at the table to gauge your reactions. Gunner is stiff as a board. And he's saying this all in common. He's he's not saying this in Elvin, so... No, that, 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 <laughs> could you imagine? No, that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the party can't Gunner, understand him at all. He's just very Gunner, angrily staring at them. Gunner's like, "Why is he talking about the gift shop so much? That's weird." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's got a good deal. He's gonna raise his hand and he's like, "I need to use the bathroom. Where is the bathroom?" <laughs> no, I, I, no, I. What I meant is Gunner. Gunner is just so stiff with fear. You. If you didn't know he was alive, you would think he he was just a petrified corpse. And he has not moved his gaze from the ground this whole time. Or the table, rather, I guess, would be more appropriate. Oh, he hasn't moved the table from the ground, I gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think think Theo is, like, looking at him and and then looking down at the table, very thoughtful, pondering his words as he speaks. But he's also tense. Uh, not trying to be threatening or anything. He's just naturally tense because he's stressed now. But he's he's just contemplating, shaking his head up and down, just listening, trying to <sighs> offend or or battle. But he's he doesn't like what he's hearing. But he understands that the other options are much worse. So he's just sort of conceding at this point, very begrudgingly, not saying much. Yeah, Aegon doesn't think they're really in a position to disagree, so he's not even gonna bother. Yeah, he's just making more shadow puppets. He's like, oh, well, whatever. I'm resigned to my fate. <laughs> Fez is kind of piecing together what he said, and she's a little bit confused how he doesn't believe in like the future or destiny or whatever, but then he's talking about having us go see their prophets. And she's like, what? 
Um, if, if Ez wants to ask, Ez can ask. Like, he doesn't look like he's going to shut you down. Well, maybe Jasper will shut you down, but... <laughs> no, no really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she trusts herself, really, to handle situations like this, so, but she's also, like, looking around and sort of uh, trying to gauge the situation where if the prophets have no use for them, what's plan B? Because it sure as heck isn't just gonna be let them kill us. Not without a fight. Like, she ain't going down alone. So, yeah. Um, I think Gunner breaks the silence. Gunner, still looking at the table, just says, what, what would the prophets even want with us? And uh, Glamier turns his gaze to look at you and he says, I don't know. But many would find it preferable to death. Gunnar doesn't respond. He kind of cocks his head a little bit and he says, You do want to keep living, right, Gunnar? Gunnar just looks kind of nervous and he says, Well, sure. Then I'd recommend coming with me and submitting yourself to the prophets and seeing where things go from there. Then will we go? As soon as you are ready. You guys are getting that elfin doobies. What? <laughs> <laughs> All the other guards look at that and are like, dude, what the fuck? I didn't say it this time. Theo <laughs> uh, <clears throat> will look up and square him in the eyes and, and say, I, I think we can do this. I know we are good people. Uh, we are good people with good hearts most of the time. And I know we came here for a reason. And I'm sure your prophets will see that too. I'm confident. And he looks to each one of them in- individually. We're here to do good. Regardless of how we got here, we are here to do good. And he nods his head at you and he says, I appreciate that, Fio, warrior of the north. You and I share a very similar heart. And he kind of looks like he's thinking for a second. And then he says, perhaps I should tell you of the problem plaguing my people. Many of you are not elves, so I would not presume you would know. But my people are subject to an accursed affliction. The wasting. When our ancestors crossed over to this world a thousand years ago, through the portals that were created by the ancient races. They did not suspect that the world would be inhospitable to them. So when they fled and left us behind, we had to deal with a world that did not want us. We were a disease in a body. Every generation of my people loses some of their connection to our innate magic. Our ancestors could live for a thousand years, longer, Many of us now can expect to maybe make four centuries. Another few hundred years will die in two decades. I will not see my race die like this. I have to take action. And he looks at Theo. You seem like the kind of person who would be willing to help with that. Am I wrong? No, yeah. That, yeah, it sounds like an awesome like goal. It's a great mission. That's what we do. We... I, we, I mean, we, we helped save Brimpton, and that was, that was difficult, and a lot of lives are on the line. But we saved a lot more. Well, and he raises his hand. And he says, 
well, you remember that by saving Brimpton, you also messed with my goals. Because just to refresh your age, in case you forgot that, uh, he was asking you guys very aggressively about smells a while back. And it oh, seemed that's like, true. And he seemed like he was involved with it. Right. And he continues to look at Theo, and he says, sometimes you have to make decisions that aren't the best, but you do it because it's what's right for you and those you love. Is that something you can do, or do our goals not overlap? I know that you have to make choices in life, and I understand that. But what I also know is that there's always a choice, no matter how much it seems like there is no choice but the one staring at you. And I'm one who always fights for that choice. The one pushed aside because I think there's no way. Like in the like in the good no way, not the not like it's a bad no way. This is supposed to be a lot cooler. Just give me a second. <laughs> Yeah, Glam- Glamour is like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I got Theo, it. T- t- take your time. No, t- seriously. I mean, you- you're-, you're using your words. It's just no talking! That's <laughs> 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 my line? <laughs> the guards start infighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to say it for once. <laughs> Sounds so cool when you say it. <laughs> no, you look cool. Alright, well thanks, bro. God's... No, back... Serious, serious. As long as you also look for that choice, our goals are aligned. No matter what, we are here to help people. If that's what we can do, that's what we will do. I can promise you that. Very well. And he looks around at everyone else. Does he speak for the rest of you? I agree with the oath. I just, uh... Yeah... I I I I wanna see the path that we have to take to get there, but I guess we'll learn in due time, huh? That's Warrior of the North Oath to you. There's <laughs> <laughs> Aegon. She unless she's specifically addressed, she has a lot of reservations, so if she's learned anything from her Brimpton adventures, it's to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, yeah, Aegon will respond. Well, well, I wouldn't say that Theo speaks for me, but I, I share his sentiments. As I would expect from a man of the cloth. Very well. And he gestures to the guards and he says, uh, take them and prepare them to meet with the prophets. Um, except for you. And he points to the guard that is Jasper in disguise. He says, uh, I need you for a moment. Of course, my lord. And all the other guards look at him like, what? What do you call him? My lord? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My lady. <laughs> You're supposed to call him daddy. No. Oh, Shut up, Joel. <laughs> so, the re- uh, so the rest of the guards lead the uh, rest of you away. And then it's just um, Jasper and Glamir. And Glamir waits till the door shuts. And without turning around to look at him, he says, So, Jasper, why are you here? Why do you think I'm with these idiots? And he slowly turns to look at him and he says, So you're telling me that after five years, you come back and it's just a coincidence? Sadly, yes, it is really just coincidence. I mean, do you see my party anywhere? 
<gasps> and oh he says, God. don't talk about them that way, Jasper. They were my dearest comrades, after all. I told, gave them the only order that was worth following. You were a good crew, Jasper. But after you walked out, things have been rough. I really could have used you these last five years. And now you come back. You come back with these people. You come back and you kill my people. And he stalks up to Jasper and looks him right in the face. I will let you live for now. But if you interfere with anything I'm doing to save my people, I will personally see that you are obliterated. I thought we had an agreement. I'll do anything you say, as long as you helped me with my quest. I just had one condition. No children were allowed to be harmed. That was it. Well, it's a good thing you left then. I know. And he kind of stares Jasper down for a while and he says, you should return to your friends. Whether you keep your disguise or not, I could care less. Prophets have no use for you. Of course. I don't need prophets telling me what I can do or not do. You know I always get results. Yes, I do. Uh, it's been a great time, Glamir. Wish I could say the same. I still Get out of my sight. I still offer you. I'll work for you as long as we keep the bargain. And I just leave. And he kind of stares after Jasper as he walks out. So we'll cut to the rest of the group. The rest of the guards uh, basically dusted you guys off a little bit. Uh, but then they uh, all move to attempt to bind your hands in front of you. And some of them come forward with blindfolds as well. And... Uh, yeah. Do you really think that's a good idea? I mean, what, what if we trip and then we fall off of one of these switchbacks? We'll, we'll catch you. I sure hope so. Well, don't count on it. <laughs> they, say, they put the blindfold over your face. I don't know if you'd be able to catch Fio over there, though. He's pretty pretty massive. No <laughs> offense, Fio. Right, come on. You guys know I'm on a diet, okay? And, like, I'm trying to get lean. That's not fair. Now, one of the guards speaks up. Uh, she walks forward. We have to ensure that you don't escape and that you don't know where we're taking you. It's as simple as that. Well, if you, if you need us not to escape, you better tie up Gunner's legs. He can run really fast, you know. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, Aegon, thanks, Aegon. And they take, they take some rope and they tie it so that Gunner can walk but not run. <laughs> like, it's loose enough that he can walk, but he will fall immediately if he tries to run. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they yeah. then they look at each other and they're like, yeah, maybe we should do it to everyone. So now everyone's bound so that you can walk but not run. <laughs> yeah, great suggestion, Aegon. Loved yeah, it. Thanks, Aegon. I'm just part, trying to be helpful, Theo. That it's more than you've done. What? <laughs> I, oh my, come here. <laughs> he starts to go after Well, you're not going to catch me. I can go the same speed you can. Cut your little legs too fast. <laughs> I the, imagine they're kind of just like waddling in circles <laughs> and Gunner's just like, this is really how I die. Are you kidding me? All this time, this is how I go. Oh my God. <laughs> this is hilarious. 
<laughs> Vez quietly contemplating her death. No, Vez is quietly like tugging on the ropes to see how strong they are, counting how many people uh, oh. are around us, kind of trying to make sure that if she uh, decides to make a move, that she's in the best position possible to do it. She's calculating currently. And you guys are helping her because she's less suspicious because all eyes are on you. <laughs> so you hang out with us, huh? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So they get you guys prepared. And uh, before they put the blindfolds on, you can see the sun's getting much lower in the sky. <clears throat> like it, it's uh, just about to disappear behind the mountains of the valley. And then they set you on a march. And you walk through the forest. You can tell that there's an incline in the trail. So they take you, like, further up the mountain. It's just as foreboding as it was when you guys got here. No animal sounds, no wind through the woods. And the further you go, just the more you feel like you're being watched. Like, it doesn't help that you're blindfolded, but, like, you just feel like you're not alone. You feel like you're being spied on. You feel like you can almost hear strange sounds like in the distance as something is stalking you and the light making its way through your blindfold gets dimmer and dimmer as the hours pass and then finally it becomes nighttime and they lead you up this trail and the blindfolds begin to light up with light once again and they stop you and then they remove the blindfolds from you and you can see up ahead there is a large clearing. There are thick clouds hanging in the sky blocking much of the starlight. There's just a little bit of moon coming through. The main source of illumination in this clearing is a massive bonfire blazing at the center. There's a ring of elves sitting around this fire. Their heads are down. They're pointing their antlers towards the flame and they're swaying and weaving to the beats of drums that are echoing from the edges of the trees. All the elves have these thick black patterns painted over their bare skin and it kind of glistens in the light. And then the guards kind of push you guys in the back a little bit to urge you forward. If I didn't say it before, uh, I, I think it's still the same six guards Maybe with maybe with Jasper. I'm presuming Jasper goes in his guard guys. Yep. He'll just walk in there nonchalant. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they take you forward and they move you around the ring of elves uh, swaying around the fire. You can see that there's actually a pretty large number of people here kind of gathered at the edge of the forest. All these elves are watching you. The fire is glistening in their eyes like what you'd expect from like a, a forest animal like their eyes are reflecting in the dark as they watch you intently and you guys are brought over to a, a small group of people uh, they look like they're common bandits they've kind of got that rough look about them um, they look like they are much more prisoners of war than you guys are and they look absolutely terrified and the guards bring you over and they sit you down and then they move to stand slightly behind the uh, behind this group of prisoners. And you watch as Glamier enters the clearing as well. He's removed his shirt 
revealing his swirling tattoos across his chest and back. Um, and he walks to the center in front of the bonfire, and his lips begin to move as he begins some sort of prayer or ritual or whatever. Yeah, I think Vez maybe is having some, like, internal major panic <laughs> um, and maybe some not exactly flashback moments, but that vague feeling of this is not good. I've been in, you know, that sort of thing. Josh knows what I mean. So, yeah, she's struggling to maintain just a clear head to try to be as prepared as possible for whatever may happen. I think I think Gunner's like panicked so much. He's almost like he he almost feel like he's walking, but he's so numb he almost can't even feel his footsteps as he's going as he's getting led around. Uh, just to confirm, uh, you said the hoods were taken off since we we're here. <laughs> yeah, so you guys can see perfectly. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> well, actually, uh, now that I should say that with uh, dark vision, those of you with dark vision can see beyond the ring of firelight and you can see the massive stone doorway dear Hemin's looming just beyond the firelight oh my god well uh Theo looking at that he he gets a little weak in the knees just at first cause it's just like that's just so gigantic but he he reaffirms himself and tries to center his mind and he'll try to make eye contact with everyone in his group and he'll just try to have on a brave face. Not not necessarily that he has to try. More that he's just trying to make it poignant that he's he's stern, but he's confident. Because he has to believe in himself. He believes in this team. And he knows that they're there to do good. And if these people are here to figure out if they can do good, they'll see it. So he's just trying to reaffirm to everyone. So he'll look at Gunner. He'll look at Aegon. He'll look at Vez. He'll kind of look around for Jasper. Just like kind of just nodding his head in the open, <laughs> trying to look for him. And then he'll look at Tuo, wherever he is, and give him a head nod. Like, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, Tuo uh, lets out a little bark uh, to give you some reassurance. He's He's got these, like, little doggy binds around his legs to keep him from running, too. <laughs> <laughs> so Glamir continues his chanting, or his prayer. The elves continue to sway back and forth around the fire. The drums continue to permeate the, the night, and despite the chilled air, you kind of feel you start, you kind of feel yourself start to sweat a little bit, and then you hear kind of a crumbling, cracking sound, and the dirt in front of the stone doorway begins to give away a little bit, revealing some sort of passage. And from this passage emerge three figures. All three of them are wearing these dark robes that obscure their features. And immediately you recognize them. They're the ones that you saw in the forest, the one that Vez saw in the middle of the streets that no one else seemed like they could see. It seems like these are the things that have been following you throughout your journey since Brimpton. So then the three figures stride forward, almost seeming like they're gliding across the ground. You don't see like rustles in the front of their cloaks. And they stop just outside of the ring of elves. And uh, one of the guards near you 
reaches down. He grabs one of the uh, one of the human prisoners and pulls him up to his feet. And the guy's looking around. He's like freaking out. He's like, "What's going on? What's going on?" He's like, "No, let me, let me go! Don't!" And uh, the guard, another guard comes up and they grab him by the arms and they bring him forward. And they walk to the center of the clearing in front of the three hooded figures. And they force him to turn and face the three prophets. And one of the prophets raises its hand as the guy's like trembling and freaking out. And you can see by the glistening of the firelight, its hands are pale and clammy. They're almost shining like they're coated with like a like a thin layer of liquid. It's a really, really gross look. Very skeletal, bare bones, skin stretched across them, and long, talon-like fingernails sprout from the ends of the fingers. And it reaches up and kind of strokes the side of the guy's face, and he kind of, like, stops struggling and almost slumps a little bit, but remains standing. And the two guards let go of him, and you guys see him continue to just stand there. And then the prophet slowly walks behind him, and you hear a gross slithering sound as four tentacles slowly slide from under the hood and wrap themselves around the guy's neck and around his head, and the hood falls back, and you see something horrifying. This creature, although it looks humanoid, has a hairless, gaunt head with glistening blue skin. The firelight is reflecting off of the mucus, keeping it wet, and its eye sockets are sunken way back into its skull, with its beady little eyes glistening with what little light is able to reach them. And in place of a nose and mouth, it has four thick tentacles, each about as thick as your lower arm and stretching about three to four feet long. And it wraps these tentacles around the guy's neck and head and kind of engulfs the back of his head. And you hear a crunch and then another crunch. And the guy starts to shake and fall. And when he does, he hits the ground and you see that the back of his skull has been ripped off. And without any prompting, his body seems to like move and flip over. And the creature gets down on its hands and knees and its four tentacles begin to grab pieces of his brain and pull them to an unseen mouth hidden within the folds of the cloak. Oh my God. And then one of the guards grabs Gunner. Gunner's freaking out. He's just he, he, he's, he's trying, trying to remain, to remain calm, calm, but like he is in a full panic attack. <laughs> and he looks he, he looks back at Fio like, help me. <laughs> Fio, Fio doesn't know what to do. He's shocked. He's like, this is not what he thought was going to happen. He he doesn't know what to do. He's 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 stuck. He's frozen. Uh, Josh, how close are we to that whole shindig? Uh, you guys are about. 50 feet away. Let me let me double check my map. It's the reason I haven't shared a map with you guys because I've got something in case things go down. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're you guys are about 50 feet away from what's going on. Okay. And are they are they purposely keeping us back from from everything, or are they just sort of like we're supposed to follow Gunner? 
Like a real chained um, up? It looks like they are specifically taking Gunner forward. Okay, I, I think... Um, the guards around you guys are starting to get kind of tense if, if Fia looks like he's starting to get nervous. Yeah, he's starting to tense up himself a little bit. He's not he's not doing anything yet, but he's he's like inching forward a little bit. He wants to be closer to what's going on. He, he doesn't like this. Are, do they move in? Uh, yeah, the guards are kind of keeping close eyes on you guys. The two that had been holding the uh, the guy who's being eaten right now um, do walk back to the rest of the group. Oh, my God. So now there are two guards uh, taking Gunner forward. Fio doesn't know anything about these guys. So as far as he understands, uh, they, they are prophets, but he's so nervous about this. I think he wants to prepare an action, though. That's okay. Yeah, sure. What are you going to prepare your action to do? Um... Give me like two seconds to double check something real quick. Sorry, you can cut this out. Crying is a free action. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, Gunner Gunner uses that one a lot. (laughs) Okay, um, uh, I I think that Theo is going to prepare an action to basically uh, dash forward if anything uh, seems amiss or... Or better yet, uh, since he's bound up, like these are roughly tightly bounding, yeah. like wrist. I think he'll try to. Um, I think what he'll do is, if things start to go south, he'll just try to break his constraints, if he can. Okay. <coughs> Fez will also prepare an action, although it won't look nearly as. I don't know. She won't look as suspicious as Fio, but if things start to go poorly, she's gonna cast her. Uh, her arms. Send the ropes don't matter because she got two more. <laughs> oh yeah, I like it. That's really cool. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Gunnar knows even has an inkling of an idea what to do in this situation because he's panicking so bad. So I think Gunnar complies for the for the moment anyway. Okay. Jasper prepares to laugh. Wow. Oh my he God. prepares to laugh maniacally. Wow. What the heck? That, that's my character, Nate. What the heck? That's why he's preparing that action. Ugh. Man. All right. So these guards bring Gunner in front of this creature, and it turns to look at you, and Gunner begins to feel a pressure in the back of his head. Like, he feels like whatever this thing is, it's forcing its mind into his and the creature in front of you starts to change and suddenly Gunner is looking at his friend Bacchus his dwarven friend his fellow vigilante and he looks up at Gunner and he says have no fear Gunner you're about to be part of something so much greater than yourself Gunner just starts crying I want to believe you, but you're... And he, like, strokes the side of your head, and the rest of the group sees the creature walk up, and it doesn't stroke the side of his head. It's standing in front of him, and its tentacles slowly, like, make their way across his face, as if it's stroking his face with its tentacles. And Gunner begins to feel the world fall away from him, as in begins to realize he isn't seeing much of anything, feeling much of anything, and he realizes he can't move his arms or legs. And uh, his friend Bacchus, standing in front of him, says, I have a gift for you, Gunner. Will you take it? 
and he holds out his hand and you see there's a small silver box in his hand. Bacchus, what, what, what is this? It's a gift, Gunner. Will you take it? For me. Gunner, he looks kind of hesitant. He he looks up at Bacchus, looks back down at the box, thinks it over. Okay, Bacchus, but 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 I, I'm a little scared in this situation. So, okay. Don't be scared, Gunner. Takes a silver box. And the rest of the group sees Gunner standing immobile in front of this creature. And it raises its hand, and in its hand it's holding something gleaming silver. And Theo and Aegon, with their dark vision, can see whatever he's holding seems to be some sort of worm. It's about three inches long. No! Don't do this to my boy! And it's gleaming silver in the night. Whatever it is, it seems to be made of metal, and it's whipping and flapping around, and it reaches behind Gunner's ear, and you see it slide out of the creature's fingers, and it disappears behind Gunner's ear. And Gunner sees Bacchus in front of him, and he smiles, and he says... It'll be okay, Gunner. You can go to sleep now. Get some rest. Talk to you in the morning. And Gunner's vision begins to darken, and he collapses to the ground. hope you enjoyed this episode if you did share it and our other episodes with your friends family and co-workers your boss if you're daring visit our website to find your copy of a DD quick starter guide and feel free to join our growing community on the various social media platforms in the description there we discuss episodes dungeons and dragons and stem topics that we all love thanks again for listening we can't wait to see you here at applied dungeoneering some of the background music in this episode is from Monument Studios. Check out their other music at monumentstudios.net. The song Vikings is from Tabletop Audio at tabletopaudio.com. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0. Creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by dash nc dash nd slash 4.0.